Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring Flicks. I'm Carl Hartley. I'm Max Peterson. Uh, this week, we are discussing uh, 2006's A Scanner Darkly. This is uh, episode two. Um, we were releasing this uh, in a new format. Uh, those of you who are Patreon supporters mm-hmm. uh, will have heard our uh, ill-begotten and abortive <laughs> season zero, <laughs> the first seven movies that we watched. Let's All be honest, it was stillborn. It was <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That Well, then, you know, we had some great discussions. <laughs> sure. uh, it was just a lot of uh, technical problems, flubbery, and, uh, and then... Um, NUI. Right. Or a dash of douchebaggery. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a touch of us just uh, discontinuing our giving of fucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it all fell apart. But here we are uh, in uh, episode two of our March Madness series. Oh, ain't it though? It sure is. Uh, all right. So this is a, a Scanner Darkly. It's directed by Richard Linklater, uh, starring... Th- were you surprised by the cast of this? Not really. The number of... Well, it is it is Linklater, and everyone right. wants to work with everyone him. Everyone's on board with Linklater. What's he doing? It's kind of like Soderbergh. We've got... Yeah, that, yeah, like a little everyone's bit. Everyone's good on. So a yeah, look, Keanu Reeves. We got Keanu Reeves. We've got Robert Downey Jr. We've got Woody Harrelson and Winona Ryder. Right. I didn't write down any character names. I'm, I've seen the movie a couple times. Yeah. I've read the book, but uh, like I know Robert Arctor. Right. Um, but I'm just going to use the actor names Fair mostly. Fair enough. No, absolutely. I know Barris. <laughs> anyway. Um... One thing I thought was interesting because uh, we're doing uh, the new format. We're releasing four episodes at a time once a month, mm-hmm. so that you can binge our episodes, uh, respond online, and then the the next month when that comes out, you can binge it. I'll drop it once. Yeah. So we watched a couple of movies to record today's episode. We rec- uh, watched *A Scanner Darkly* and *The Jacket*. Did you notice both by the same production company? Yes, I did. Warner, Warner Independent, Independent. Yeah. and both produced by George Clooney. Oh, I missed the George Clooney. Pro- yeah, he, oh, really? He How produced- funny is that? Well, that's I, I was like Soderbergh was a producer on the jacket as well. Yes, well, he wasn't on Scanner, but no, he was. But Clooney was a producer on both. Clooney was a producer on both, so I think like in is the- Warner I a Clooney Soderbergh company though? I feel like it is. Is it? Well, my it, that ju- that thought just occurred to me that if it's Warner I, it might very well be. I mean, one or both of them, kind of like working together, you know, or like, uh, like they have like their shareholders or whatever, so they get producer credits on everything that comes through. It's possible. I I I, think it's interesting that they're both independent. I preferred my my theory, which was uh, in 2005, 2006, George Clooney was just feeling dangerously unhinged and started (laughs) backing movies about crazy fucking people. He didn't want to be in them, that he would back them, right? Like, you know, what's weird is George Clooney's first film was From Dusk Till Dawn. That was his first movie. That was his first not Sisters, not ER. No, yeah. Uh, well, he, did he get his start on ER or General Hospital? Sis, well, he, what was it he? It was General Hospital, and then it was like, there was this well, weird show called Sisters. Okay, well, he went from, ER. he was doing like mostly soap operas. Too much about George. You you know oh, oh. <laughs> I know I know just enough to not know like anything. The only thing that I know about George Clooney, other than that he's still devilishly handsome, mm-hmm. is that uh, he went from soap opera TV stuff right to uh, uh, Robert Rodriguez's and Quentin Tarantino's the, from, from the Dusk Till Dawn Vampire Hunter movie, yeah, and it right. was a calculated move to make him seem like more grungy, more, and yeah, and dangerous, dangerous, or or to be taken seriously. Still had the head bobs, so. right? Because he's going from like like I need two cc's of Ativan <laughs> stat right. to like I will blow your fucking head off. Like mm-hmm. he he played like a super brutal. I, I watched some. He had a neck tat, yo. 
Yeah, dude. And then right. there's that's, nothing more serious than a neck tat. That shit's forever. <laughs> it was his name like Gordon Gecko or something stupid. Some, no, that was the Gecko Brothers. Wall Street. What? You're no, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, right? No, not at all. Oh, These enough. are going to go up totally raw. Awesome. Um, which means that we're going to have to be better about staying on topic. <laughs> yes. That's for- all right. So. Right before we started recording, we were talking uh, about the two movies, mm-hmm. the, the Jacket and A Scanner Darkly. The Jacket's episode uh, four, so you'll get to that in a little bit if you're binging. But you said that you thought the that A Scanner Darkly had a was the lighter of the two? No, no, no. The Jacket has the happier ending. Yeah. Scanner Darkly has the more dark. They're both not a like... A present for my friends. Of, at Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving. A Scanner Darkly... For me, uh, I watched the special one of the special features, mm-hmm. like a making of thing, right. and what I thought was really interesting is all the actors when they have interviews with the actors, mm-hmm. none of the actors knew if the film was a comedy or a drama. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, they're all they were all saying like Woody Harrelson's like I th- I think it's a comedy. I think it's a comedy. You know, man, well his but, character you know. is very over the top. He's always very paranoid and on drugs and like sort of the stoner. Well, there are some very funny moments in this film. There are, and Linklater himself refers to it as a comedy, but he says it's a very dark comedy. Whereas when you talk to Winona Ryder and Keanu and Reeves... this is a deep drama, right? I mean, they're seeing it as very serious. They're, yeah, they're approaching it as like, like this is... Phil, some of Phil K. Dick's best work, and we're honoring his... Right, yeah, work. yeah, yeah. They're like, they're like the, I, was, I was just really interested. Obviously, Keanu Reeves is big, um, big draw to the character. He actually turned the role down the first time it was offered to oh, him. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh-huh. uh, Linklater shelved the project for a couple years. Was this pre-Neo? This was in the middle of The Matrix. Okay. So so the Matrix, the first Matrix movie had just come out. I think he was working on the second one, and Linklater came forward and was like, hey, will you, do you want to work on Scanner Darkly? I want you to be my Bob Arctor. And Keanu Reeves had read the book, loves Philip K. Dick, and liked the project, but he's like, I don't want to do, don't sci-fi. Want to do sci-fi. He was doing sci-fi stuff. So Linklater, rather than cast someone else, shelved it, did other, uh, I think he did, I can't remember which movie it is, but he did another project, waited for the dust to settle, and then went back to Keanu Reeves and was like, have you had enough of a break? Will you do Scanner now? And Keanu Reeves was like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Totally. So, yeah, I'll totally Whoa. do Well, <laughs> Scanner darkly will. He's great as I'm Bob a, Arctor. I have I've come a long way with Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Like, from completely dismissing him as a dramatic actor mm-hmm. in any shape or form. Right. Watch his performance in Much Ado About Nothing. It's like, oh, God. But that's not <laughs> And uh, Bram Stoker's when, Dracula. Oh, my God, it's so bad. <laughs> but if you look at his body of work from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, well, actually, he, well, what's Eating Gilbert Grape, right? Was, mm, I've never seen it. Okay. So, so that's like pre all of his stuff, yeah. right? But then he's Bill and Ted, and he's as goofy as shit. And when you're a kid watching Bill and Ted, you're like, he's just the goofy skateboard kid from California, whatever. But then he's he's put in these parts that are not right for him, like in that sort of jumping off part of his career, mm-hmm. um, like Much Ado About Nothing and um, a handful of others. But but then he starts getting these roles that are right for him, and you can see him come through. Constantine is not one of those. But you're not a fan of Constantine. No, but that we can oh, go I into that, that later because okay, that was yeah. a preview of uh, it was one of the previews before A Scanner Darkly was for Constantine. Oh, okay. And I was okay. like, <laughs> that's really bad. But when I love see, that you know, movie. I'm a big fan of the comic book series. Oh well, yeah, well, because so. he came from Swamp Thing, which is one of my favorite comic books. But anywho, uh-huh, yeah. digressing. Yeah, um, back on track. Pan but Reeves. when you start when I think it's when directors and 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 Hollywood in general started to 
to figure out Keanu Reeves and what roles are best for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, one of the best cops and robbers movies is Point Break. It's it's fantastic. The original, he's, not the, original, the stupid remake. The, yeah, I don't even consider that anything. But okay. Keanu Reeves in Point Break, he's playing a Keanu Reeves type character. He's a dude that you know he's scored number one in his class uh, mm-hmm. for the FBI, but he's still car- sort of like a dude, bro. Right. You know what he, I mean? Well, but, and they they pick him to be a surfer. So once they figured out like where to where he fits, then you have Neo in the Matrix. He's just some hacker that lives in an attic somewhere but he's still like that dude bro and even you go like you go uh john wick which is some of the best action ever yeah he's still sort of that he's fitting into that mold of what works for him but he is he is capable of drama but go ahead and in, in this in this particular film scanner darkly i think that he is breaking out of that mold and i think he's very effective yes he does it effectively but before we get specifically to a he's scanner also darkly, a cartoon what did, so that we'll get could to the be so, right, yeah. We'll get to the rotoscoping <laughs> But Keanu Reeves to me Is like Nicolas Cage In a way Nicolas Cage is everyone you know, You're not hating on Nick No no right? no there's okay. the joke there, we, have a, we have a Nicolas Cage month coming month, up yes. But there's a you know Nicolas Cage is the whole joke Like he's so bad he's good he's a terrible actor Nicolas Cage is not a bad actor Nicolas Cage is a very Bad projects He works on bad projects and there is there are Nicolas Cage roles where when you put him in that slot, he shines. Yes. Raising Arizona. Oh, perfect uh, yeah. Kick-ass. Mm-hmm. He's phenomenal. Matchstick Men, some people take him to task for, but I like him in Matchstick That's Men. one of my favorite movies. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, honest to God, Nicolas, there's there's movies where Nicolas Cage does very, very con air. Mm-hmm. He does really, really well if you put him in the right put spot. Put the money down. <laughs> Um, in a, in a way, Tom Hardy is similar to me. I mm-hmm. think Tom Hardy is a chameleon and can play anything. Sure. But there are roles where he excels, and those are and Daniel Craig's the same way. Mm-hmm. And Michael Fassbender, if you put them in roles oh, where they jacket. get to express wounded masculinity, mm-hmm. where they are manly men with deep cracks and flaws, they shine. Yeah. Just like with Keanu Reeves, Forty Seven Ronin is a fucking amazing. He's perfect as Neo. Yep. Um, uh, John Wick is fucking incredible. And I think my favorite performance by him. It, well, no, John Wick is my favorite performance by him. <laughs> but uh, a Scanner Darkly, mm-hmm. because uh, I think part of this is informed by the interview that I watched with him. He talks about. Um, have you read the book? I have not. It's one of the few Philip K. Dicks that I have not actually read. I have a copy upstairs I'll lend it to you at the end Preach. of the But uh, when he played Robert Archer, he uh, he said when they were filming, they found the point in filming where Robert Archer becomes distinctive from Fred, the, the narc officer. Because he splits his personality, well, essentially. Yeah, they even talk about how the hemispheres of his brain mm-hmm. basically not. are dissolved by this drug that he's doing. So he was saying that he had he originally had a character which was a blending of the two. At a certain point, he uh, he talked to Link later and took some time and separated the characters and then played separate characters. So Fred is his own thing. He has his own mannerisms and tics. Robert Archer is his own thing. And then in the end, what is the uh, uh, George or whatever? Mm -hmm. They give him a new name when they send him a new path. I think that he's three characters too. Well, yeah, the burned out guy at the end. Well, four then. Who's the fourth one? The so, blending of the two at the beginning. So no, because that's what I think is so interesting. Oh, with the husband the, character with the that. Well, now it's six. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I th- I find it interesting. We're going to talk about the rotoscoping later, but yeah, the, the 
We can weave he's, it in. He's wearing the the suit, right? So that's the one. blur suit. Yeah. So I think that that is one distinctive. That's him together. But that's where the well, break starts to that's happen. That's Fred. When that he's, is Fred. Yeah. When he's but in he's the blur also, suit. Okay. So that is Fred when he's in the suit. Right. When he's in the blur suit, he's a, he's officially like the narcotics he's officially officer. Officially, Fred. Fred. As soon as he takes it off, he becomes. Um, so yes, so watching those different facets, cause when you look at Fred, Fred is talking, he's a little spacey, but yeah. Fred is talking in like a fair, he's fairly, you know, um, well-spoken and he yep. understands his job. He understands that he's like, well, you know, I think that the, there's a possibility that Arctor blah, blah, blah. And some of him referring to Arctor in the third person is to protect his identity as Arctor. But right. when he's Robert Arctor, he's sitting on the couch and he's like, wait a minute, man. There's only nine gears on that bike, you know, and he's he and as does, an audience member, it's like, is he playing right. as the as the is agent? He, is, is he, he dumbing playing, down right? or is he or is he now Robert? Now is he now Robert Arctor? When he walks out of the building as Fred and is like, I know, I know Arctor. Arctor's a good guy. And as Fred, he's completely disassociated from yep. Arctor. At that point, I for me, his as brain has made yeah, me as an audience yeah. member. I, I say to my I'm like, he's not thinking objectively about nope. himself he thinks robert arctor is a different person yes um the other thing i loved winona ryder's performance because mm. did you know that winona ryder actually did play hank like the entire time she yeah. was hank. all of the scenes with hank are winona ryder okay because there's a really interesting moment when it's towards is it the end when 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 hank calls and says you know she's gonna come it's talking you up to yeah like five minutes when she's walking down the hallway to change out of the suit, mm-hmm. her gait changes. You can tell it's Winona Ryder. Right. Because she's moving like Winona Ryder. Yes. There's, Even before she goes in the room to take the thing off. It's like she's let her guard down a little so bit good. because she feels so much. She knows what she's just done to this and she's, human being. I think she's also like, you know, in the same way that Fred becomes Arctor, I think she's shifting gears yeah. from Hank into, I wish I could remember her name. Because she says, I mean, Hank is... All he cares about is, do we have the evidence? Is this enough to move forward? I don't care about you. You're on your own. Like right. That's your whole bag of fries. Right. I don't really give a shit. Give me the information. But, as, but with him, it's different. And I think it's because they did have a relationship. With him? Right. Yeah, they okay, had a relationship yeah. outside of, of the... They were like boyfriend-girlfriend as yeah. their undercover... Personas, personas not knowing two that they were officers two narcs that didn't well, she know does that they know were by narcs. the end well she does because she gets that information right well but. i think that they know i think that she might have known the whole time because that was my big when question, they have how, the, the meeting in the restaurant mm-hmm. and the guys like they, they it seems like this had been a long game like this is a long con to burn the, him out and get him into new path so he could get to the garden since the beginning is my right thought. right so i would say that she probably knew the entire time that he was um I think that's probably a fair and accurate assessment because though. if you think about it what is she as as her druggy persona I wish I could remember the name but as her druggy persona when they're driving in the car what does mm-hmm. she say let's go drop some death drink some tequila right. so she's, she's partial she's burning him out yeah. she's getting him on more and more pills she's getting him hooked I think that she got embedded not to be a standard narc officer but to but be like an to... in-house handler yes. for him that's exactly what was happening yeah and then she started getting the feels like, damn it, this is a human being. Mm. And that's why that restaurant scene, the diner scene at the end, when they're discussing that's, that's the long, hard to it's watch. a heartbreaking yeah. scene. She's like, we have just destroyed a human a being. A human being. If he had, and, and she's, I like her. If he had known. If he had volunteered. I volunteered, like that distinction. But that he wouldn't be 
he wouldn't be effective then in the role that they needed. Christ were just as bad as they are or something like that, man. And like, I mean, not, we're not digressing. We're still talking about Winona Ryder, but you watch Stranger Things? Oh God, yes. She's fucking phenomenal or what? Uh, Well, Stranger Things is just one of the best things that's ever happened since sliced bread. We won't go down that rabbit hole, but. But she's fantastic in that. She, she, she. And it's because she's playing some, she's not just the freaked out mom the whole time. She has, there's dynamic. She manages facets so well. Yes. And these the minor little things that we're not even really picking up on unless you were to like watch so closely. But you're still getting the effect. But you're still getting the effect of it. right. Like when the phone rings mm -hmm. in the Stranger Things episode, like when the phone rings and she's like, there's moments when she's like, holy fuck, is it or isn't it? And you feel, and it's just these small little things that she does with her face. Ticks. It's little, yeah. she smokes the most nervous cigarette I've ever oh seen my in my God. life. <laughs> that cigarette has no chance, man. No, it's just dumb. There's not it's a, a prayer. There's smoke. ash all over the, all it's over like, the joint. That cigarette's begging to die. It it's doesn't... like, put me out. I'm all ash. You haven't huffed me in like, oh, I'm just done. Inch of ash and her hand is yeah, tremoring, like, but the ash isn't falling. Like this sort of, oh, it's, it's angled down. She's, it's all like, uh, she's so good. Like whatever personal troubles she's had obviously you know she's had some weirdness in her in her life she hasn't lost that thing that makes her a good actor it might make her a better actor for it and i thought that she there are some so weird moments where the rotoscoping sort of fades away for a minute and like more of the actual human faces there's bits where you can almost see the real people but i think that of all the her face is the most Winona, it's the most human of all of them. Yeah, yeah, the like the least distorted. It's least by the distorted. I mean, it still gets goofy occasionally, but I think hers. She is the most pl- not plain looking, but the right. le- least fucked with. Right. Well, f- well, little factoid. I'm I'm thinking a lot of that is intentional because there's. Oh, I would think anything that's rotoscoped is in. Well, there's bits. It's definitely. Well, they were uh, frame by frame. They had to do this. Right. Twenty three days it took to shoot the movie. 18 months. I was going to say, like, a it. year and a half to two years of rotoscope. Yeah, to, every frame, right? To do the rotoscoping. It's the most expensive rotoscoped movie of all time and actually lost money. It cost eight and a half million. I'm just, these are rough figures. Right, right, right. It cost eight and a half million dollars to make and only made 7.7 million in theaters. Jesus. Because it's so fucking weird. Right. But um, before we get off Winona Ryder, I thought this was amazing. It's in the little uh, documentary okay. thing that's on the DVD. Uh, she wanted to play Hank. They were going to, because it's you never see Hank's face, yeah. so they were just going to get a male actor to do it, and she asked. She's like, can I play Hank, please? And Linklater's like, sure, yeah, go for it. So she worked with Robert Downey Jr. and Woody Harrelson, and they... Uh, like the the three of them picked several large framed male actors, and she learned to physically mimic those other actors' physicalities. I think Marlon Brando was one of them, but she picked like big guys right. and aped that physicality. So when she's behind the desk and she's lounging, when Hank is like you know filling space, that's when Nona Ryder in a green suit filling space, playing a male actor physically. fantastic. That's work, man. Yeah, yeah. That That is is dedication to your craft. That's the stuff I like. Because you can go to a movie and be like, wow, what a great movie. But when you learn the work that's It's the things that happen behind the scenes, the preparation Mm -hmm. that an actor does, that that is everything. It, It makes... The audience will never know that that is a thing, unless they watch the documentary or, you know. But it's those... Those hours of preparation that you're never aware of as an audience member that make all of the difference. Yeah. For that one moment of. Right. Like you could have gotten a guy to play. Hank sure. 
And I, it probably but knowing would, that it is her makes a difference. Right, right. And I, I almost feel there's two moments. You say uh, I did. I didn't catch her gate change. Yeah. I caught something slightly earlier when she's talking to when Hank is talking to Fred. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Robert Arctor's not really in the room at this point. He's almost totally gone. Yeah. There's a moment where Hank lights a cigarette and Hank like. There's a very specific Winona Ryder like head tip, and in when the moment light. when he when she lights that cigarette as Hank, all of the all of the blur suit features become female. In the moment that oh, in the moment that the cigarette is shit. lit, it's all the face pieces are they all, all female, female for just a flash. Um, so there's little shit like that in yep. there, man. Um, this movie. We can get into more specifics later, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about the feeling that this movie yep. gives me. I watched this movie for the first time in 2007, I want to say. Itchy. Something. With that bug scene in the yeah. beginning is great. When he's like scrubbing the dog. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I saw this movie for the first time in 2007. So like a year after it had come out. Yep. Um, I'd read the book and the book gave me a really weird feeling. Like the book made me feel kind of like spaced out and disconnected that sort of like disconnected feeling that the movie talks about yes when i watched the film i watched it at my grandma linda's house and i kid you not i had the same experience yesterday no or not yesterday i watched this the day before but uh when i watched it this last time i had the same feeling so i think this is an actual feeling that this movie causes in me i felt disassociated from the world around me mm-hmm. like the the world felt unreal after watching this movie, it's like about a two hour movie yep. and it's all rotoscoping and rotoscoping is very weird. It creates an uncanny valley I was feeling, say uncanny valley. but it's not a consistent uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's an, a weird unreality that feels And it's real. not like an on and off switch is like reality, no. not reality. It's this weird blurring. It's a very of the two, slow, like elasticity going right, on there. Right. So like after I watched this movie, I walked around the house, you know, and I like made coffee and I made my lunch and I went to work but like that whole time everything felt fake it felt like I was surrounded by flats it's very weird and it, the first time I saw this movie I was that way for a week mm. like it f- were you doing D no no I was I was actually straight edge when I first saw this movie nice. like like coffee one cup of coffee a day and like no 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 <laughs> I don't I don't take alcohol or like you right, know, I don't like, take alcohol yeah, right, you, yeah. oh what are you over there with your marijuana cigarettes <laughs> What a bunch of burnouts you guys are. I'm going to go run six miles. Right. But no, I was totally straight edge. And like yesterday I had, I think I had a beer while I watched it, but it wasn't like I was sitting there dropping acid and smoking, like ripping the bong. But like, yeah, for, for about, for about a day, I felt like I was like trapped in a small, tiny bubble in my head and the world wasn't real. This movie fucks with me when I watch it. I was that way with Waking Life, which is not a Linklater Uh movie. He's he's such a weird director. What a, but he's he's yeah. a good director. I just I feel sort of the same way upon watching it. Just like your brain is like mushy. You yeah. know, it's like oh. Well, I think part of it too is I was talking to Bird about it, and Bird is my wife. For those of you who don't know, not that none of you <laughs> don't know that. Um, but I was talking to Bird about it, and uh, th- t- like if you try to tell someone the plot of this movie. You can kind of do it. There's like a dozen stories. Yes. Like, for, think about it. There's like a seven minute scene where they're all sitting on the couch and Robert Downey Jr. brings in a, a, bicycle. a bicycle and he's like, it's an 18 speed bike. And Woody Harrelson points out that there's only nine gears. 
and then maybe six gears maybe or it's like eight or nine gears but they can't decide so they're gonna count and then like keanu reeves and winona right there's a long scene where they're talking about a bicycle and then there's a like there's not paranoia sets in and their brains you can tell the dysfunction that this drug is taking on to their brains where they're like the paranoia is so great that they're actually like, well, he, they're making shit up in their brains. Like, yeah. well, they must have somebody that didn't know how to work on bikes left the gears on the floor somewhere. And now they're going to have, they're going to charge me for the gears. Right. He's like, I'm going to go get, he's like, clearly they left gears. them off. And he's like, well, well, let's just go get them. I know you idiot. They're going to try and sell them to me. <laughs> right. Sell me the extra gears. Which they should have sold to me in the first place. I think the, in the, the original sales price. Right. But I think one of my favorite moments is when they come, uh, they're, they're car breaks down yeah they're driving and the return spring on the the gas pedal or whatever yeah. fails so they they're like oh my god we almost died man and they get they're getting towed back to the house and robert downey jr goes i left uh you know there will be a surprise for anybody who's trying to get into, get our, into our house, house. <laughs> i left the door unlocked and i put a note on the on the front door that says you know like the doors unlocked, the doors come, unlocked on in. come on in so they get there and they're like searching the house and there's a hot roach in the ashtray and they're like oh my god someone has been here right. Someone's been here and they smoked a joint, man. And They're then, planting evidence. They're right. planting drugs on us. And Robert Downey Jr. goes, he's, I, I think it's Robert Downey Jr. He's like, that might be, that's probably a narcotics officer who came in here. They're planting drugs. Oh my God, there could be drugs all over the house. We're right. going to have to go through it with a fine tooth comb. And then Check the outlets for bugs and all the shit. Immediately they're like, but we can't. No, 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 man. We can't get the drugs because if they catch us and we're running around all crazy with our drugs, with our in, drugs our in our hands, we can't even pretend that we didn't know they were there. Right. We can't do anything. They're going so far down the rabbit hole in their own brains. And then they insane. go and look at the cameras and the cameras are all fucked. Like yep. they didn't record anything. And they're like, oh my God, this is more sabotage, man. We've been sabotaged by the narcotics officers who came in here. Woody Harrison, we're so fucked. Man, we're <laughs> fucked, man. And then Robert Downey Jr. is like, "Well, there's one thing you could do." And Robert Harker goes, "Sell the house." <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> and they start we sell it with the drugs in the house. You might increase the value. Increase the value. They're like unknown quantities of high-end <laughs> drugs, drugs. <laughs> stash secreted all throughout the house. And when Oda Ryder comes down, she's like, "What the fuck are you What's guys talking wrong with you about?" Guys? He's like, "Did you smoke a joint?" She's like, "Yeah." yeah. And they're like, "Oh, okay." And they're immediately, in, immediately back down fine, to baseline. Yeah. But I pointed this out to Bird. They're actually completely right. Winona Ryder is a narcotics yep. officer. She, she came in and smoked a joint. She erased the cameras that Robert Downey Jr. had set yep. up because she was checking the actual cameras that the narcotics officers the dea had set in their house i never pieced that together their their paranoid fantasy is a hundred percent accurate but they're just being paranoid but they're fucking right right. (laughs) (laughs) oh that just ruined my entire life the number the amount of layers to this film when you really start picking at the threads Mm -hmm. it it goes back to that's in the writing of philip k dick a lot i mean well link later took a pass it's his screenplay based on it based on but i mean i haven't worked with two of philip k dick's daughters on the screenplay so it's it's closer to the source material than say blade runner right much more so like because that's not even that's just like a shadow of the book right it's right the blade runners the the words and the names and the places and times are the same blade runner uh uh, do androids dream of electric sheep is a short story right and they extrapolated it into an almost three-hour film uh, Minority Report, kind of the same thing. Kind of Minority same, yeah. Report's a short story. Yep. Total Recall's a short mm-hmm. story. And they just blow... Overdrawn at the Memory Bank is one of my favorite short stories. Overdrawn like, at the Memory Bank? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Philip K. Dick to me is 
I think he's one of the most underappreciated. I mean, he has a cult following, but I think that as far as science fiction writing goes, mm-hmm. he's one of the top three. Philip K. Dick might be my favorite sci-fi writer. Yeah. Can you think of a better science fiction Arthur writer? Arthur C. Clarke? Okay, yeah, yeah. I put the 2001-2010 as two of the best and uh, Songs of Distant Earth, actually. Uh, I forget the name of the author, but um, Forever War and Forever Peace are pretty excellent. There's a lot of great speculative fiction, but for me, there's sure. something there's something special about Philip K. Dick. E. M. Banks too, but he's really overwordy. Well, Dick sort of he he rises he he creates and sustains a certain like unbearable paranoia. Yeah. Where when you finish re- a lot of his books, I just read uh, earlier this year, Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said, which mm. is ex- very similar territory to Scanner Darkly. And this this concept of you wake up one day and you are not who you thought you were mm-hmm. and your entire life is different and everyone is now out to get you is the perfect... Philip K. Dick... Um, uh, this book uh, at the end of the movie they have that like a oh, the, the, the list of the fallen. the fallen yeah. Phil in there is him oh shit permanent pancreatic cancer from his like extreme drug use mm-hmm. he had like pretty severe mental breaks caused by excessive drug use so when you look at his later work it's all people who wake up one day and their whole life is just gone and now they're different people yeah. and extremely persecuted and paranoid and I think that it's almost like it's almost like watching Philip K. Dick uh, it's almost like it's almost like autobiography mm-hmm. with with a sci-fi veneer. You know what I mean? No, yeah. I mean, that's why do we write? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's <laughs> we tackle large questions here. <laughs> exactly. <on measuring laughs> uh, we don't. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Um, the one of the moments in here that really always sticks out to me is when Robert Arctor is sitting in his perfect house with his wife and two kids, which may or may not even be real. That was Mike. Would, would, was he ever actually that father with the wife and two kids? Well, he has that thing where he's like, I've got two little girls, like, very little. And he does the same hand motion like mm-hmm. it's a practiced thing. Like it's just I think a, it's part of his cover, a rut or a tick. And yeah. then Hank goes, I don't think you do. You're not supposed to. And there's like this moment where you can see Robert Archer be like, wait, wait, what? wait do I not have a wife or kids? Mm-hmm. And they never explain it. They never it. explain it. It's never, I've always taken it. The first, uh, the first time I read the book and saw the film for the first time, I w- took that as fact. This time I was like, I don't know if he does. Maybe it was part of his cover. That he accepted because he's so addled by drugs. Yeah, or... Well, it, there's such a sliver of truth to that. Like, I banged my head on a cupboard. And the sharp pain, the un- sharp unexpected pain jarred his senses back to like, I'm not happy. Yeah. And he's like, nothing's ever going to change. I hate my wife and kids. I hate my wife and kids. I hate my house. I hate my lawnmower. I hate the yeah. yard. Yeah. Fuck it. And um, he throws it all throws away. Throws it all away. To become a narcotics officer or something? Right. I think he was work, probably working in law enforcement and took this more dangerous assignment mm-hmm. to just like to get out of the rut. Right. But there's, I wrote down a note and it's like um, that, that great... And you, uh, and this will get a little bit heady, but uh, sure. I read. Um, have you ever read Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique? No. All right, it's a feminine. It's like a seminal feminist text from the '60s, where she basically postulates in the '60s, all of these women who were married, had two kids, two ho- two car garage, mm-hmm. beautiful houses, were going to their psychiatrists, and they're like, "I'm desperately depressed. I am. Yeah. I want to. I feel like I want to kill my children, and I'm so nervous all the time, and I." cry for no reason, mm-hmm. but I have everything that I could ever want. 
And Frieden postulates, that's what she calls the feminine mystique, is this big fake trap that society's made. It says, if you check all these boxes, you'll then live you are, a happy life. Right. But, you know, it's like that fight club territory of, like, you are not your shiny fucking toaster. You are not cleaning your floors every day and how well you vacuum. You're a human being with, like, needs and wants. And I wrote down, what if perfection is our human hell? Which is, I think, what he's driving at here. Yeah. Bob Arctor, he's like, does anyone want some popcorn? And he's having his middle of the day Heineken, Heineken or whatever. Right? And then he bangs his head on the, the cupboard. The and I, cabinet, yeah. it's like a primal moment. It's like a sudden danger that you weren't expecting. Yep. And all and of a sudden. all of those things that are human about you come to the surface. Right, yeah. All those, you get all that, that chemicals, that lizard brain activates. Like, let's deal with the danger. And you look around and you're like, what fucking... Ivory prison. What planet built am I living myself? on right now? Right, exactly. Yep. So I, that that to me is like the thesis of the film, yep. and oh, just how far far he falls is just incredible. Um, I wrote down uh, death cut with meth. Did you catch that at the beginning? No. And they're like, so what's Robert Actor's drug habits like? He's like, I don't, you know, a couple of capsules of death cut with meth during the day. Nothing too. Nothing well. too. Right. So he's doing like this super addictive. Like, I wonder exactly how much like. Because all of his friends, right, Woody Harrelson and Robert Downey are obviously taking a lot of drugs. Right. I get the feeling like he is taking more drugs more than, than all, all of them, of them combined. combined. I mean, but you don't. He get takes that. them at work several yeah, times. Several He's times, constantly there, popping these pills. Right, two at a time. And so at work, in the three. sheriff's office, just like. Like, he doesn't give a fuck. He's like, yeah, I'm taking these drugs, whatever. Right. Like, he's he's in the headquarters watching himself, and he just takes three capsules. Yeah. Which is, like, the dose he was scared to take not 20 minutes earlier in the film. He's like, no, 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 three is too three's much. Three is too much. He's Robert just like, Downey whatever. He's like, go for it. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the cinematography, I, I wrote... I wrote down disguised by the rotoscope. Yeah. Because when you look at how this is actually shot, like the angles and mm-hmm. the, like the close-ups of the face and uh, like the PO, some of the POV shots that we get, especially like the druggy type stuff. Yeah. The cinematography is amazing. And I, I want to see a dry cut. You can see some of the scenes that they're shooting uh, on the special features. Okay. Did you get you ordered the DVD? No, the I just Ray? rented it on Amazon. I oh, couldn't okay. find my copy. Gotcha. I but tried uh, to buy everything that we're doing, but sure. When 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 you get a chance, yeah. you can watch that and see what it was like. Um, but there's a there's a fucking awesome moment when the doctors are talking to him and they're like, they're like you know like telling him you know oh your right brain and your left brain are not communicating with right. each other. And the the female doctor, they get a close up on her face, like a not quite close up, but like a medium shot mm-hmm. on her face. And she's like, "Did you ever buy her those? Or like, you should buy her flowers." And her face like warps a little bit, and yeah. then like settles back to true. I think the use of rotoscoping to like bend reality. Watching this movie is like watching it through Robert Archer's eyes, like this, this drugged is his, out. Yes. I don't think this movie could have been done any other way. No, if you shot this straight, this movie would not be nearly as compelling as it is. No, the, I think it would be darker. Definitely, definitely. I mean, and and it would it would to be, the point where it'd be almost unwatchable, like really just dark. Well, and the other thing is, like, you could do. How do you do the suit? I don't know how you do the blur suit. It would they do it CG today or whatever? Oh, probably. Yeah. If they'd done it in two thousand seven or two thousand six when it came out, it would have fucking. Oh my bombed. god! Horrible, horrible <laughs> CG. Just like, they got zero CG, man. Like it's really bad. <laughs> PS one CG. Oh god. But uh, 
the no, Resident it, Evil CG. Yeah, exactly. It'd be res. It'd be like eight bit. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when he's talking to the doctors, there's that bit where the, it's uh, the white doctor and the black male doctor. Yes. And then he turns back, and it's the female doctor, and it's not the guy anymore. And he's yeah. like, "Wait, what the Wait, fuck?" What the going on? That I think this is super cool when they're telling him about how the hemispheres of his brain are separated. Linklater framed the shot so that Keanu Reeves's head is in the middle of the is two, in the right? middle of the two, and the white doctor is the same and is talking normally and fine, and the black male doctor is the other hemisphere of his brain and right. is saying slightly weird stuff that's like overlapping the stuff that the doctor on the left is saying, and then when Keanu Reeves gets up and turns back, he sees reality again, and it's the female doctor, yes. and I thought it was just a beautiful visual metaphor for the hemispheres of his brain. Not fighting really each other communicating very well because they talk yeah. over each other but every once in a while there's that recurring gag where they sync up and say the same thing at the mm-hmm. same time like, yes yeah they'll say like exactly or of course mm-hmm. simultaneously but other than that they, they like always... they kind of but they butt up against each yep. other I or interrupt well. each other mm-hmm. and i i think that those two doctors are just this oh my god perfect just, representation, perfect representation yep. of his separated brain i thought that was fucking great um the last thing that I mean, I mean, I kind of wanted to talk to to see what you thought. Did you did you want to talk about the commentary that this film makes on the drug war, especially given what's happening, what's happening? now in the states? Well, it's like not a whole lot has changed, right? Well, since two thousand six, we're getting back to. But, uh, I mean, um, Jeff Sessions is talking about uh, like just ignoring. Um, state legislation that's making marijuana marijuana legal. legal? Yeah. 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 So like he's talked about like going and shutting down medical marijuana clinics in states where medical marijuana is legal because it's federally illegal. We're going back to this. And didn't he just, he said uh, about the opioid epidemic, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're in pain, what just take an Advil? Shut up. That I swear to God, I'm not. I, I think it was either Sessions. I it's no, it's definitely it was definitely Jeff. Great, Sessions. Yeah, that's gonna help an amputee or somebody that suffers. Or someone who's already hooked. He's like, right. he's like, oh, if you if you're hooked, you know, like just stop taking stop taking your opioids and start taking Advil. Or like, oh, if your doctor tells you to take opioids, just take your Advil. Like people who've had like open heart surgery where they break your ribs break, yeah. or you know cancer patients who are mm-hmm. like in br- super brutal chemo oh well, I mean, maybe they could use marijuana except he except wants to make that illegal right. too so we're going back to this weird Nancy Reagan just say no it feels no. like the Reagan war on drugs era coming back around again very much so it does it's yeah. like and this this movie Scattered Darkly is putting it not quite that 1984 uh, Big Brother is watching but in that but in that realm. vein right like yeah because, I mean, we all carry our, our our government listening devices around with us in our pockets, right? Right. So I, just, like... <laughs> I just heard today, I don't know if it's factual, but I just heard today that the um, NSA has voice recognition that they can, um, any phone that's connected to um, cell service or the internet, mm-hmm. they can use as a microphone and their voice, um, it sounds like a crazy conspiracy yeah, yeah. from Scanner Darkly, but their voice recognition is more accurate than face recognition programs now. So Interesting. Time, Your voice is like a fingerprint, though, when you yeah, look definitely. at it on an oscilloscope and all that. Definitely. So, so what there what, uh, what I was hearing today, yeah, I heard it on the, the Joe that. Rogan podcast. Yeah, the, not an oscilloscope, but uh, like waveform Waveform, pattern. yeah, yeah. Yeah. What they were saying that um, anytime they want, they can just activate anything with a microphone that's hooked up to any sort of signal that can transmit any kind of signal and just listen. And by voice patterns, they can tell everybody who's within that's the range amazing. of that microphone. That's yeah. fucking spooky shit, man. Yeah, that's some spooky shit. But, uh, but- the, the, war on, the whole war on drugs thing, what I was thinking is 
This isn't even like a 2016 movie. No, this is 2006. This is 2006. Right. This is well, over was, a decade ago. When was ago. the book written? The book was written back in the 80s, I want to say. Yeah. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, the book was written decades before that. And what are we talking about? We're talking Sing. about the, what's, there's a number that they give it in the opening scene where he says 20% of, this, of society can be considered addicts. I think the addiction numbers to opioids are similar. Now. That makes sense. I mean, like legal opioids too. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not like that you're, we're not your s- prescription right. drugs are probably right. I don't like want to wax political we on the podcast. We but. don't have like twenty percent <laughs> right. of. I think it's an okay place because the art is comment, commenting on life. Oh, okay, I think fair that, enough. Yeah. I think that part of what makes this movie so powerful, like this movie, nineteen eighty four. Why are people watching Margaret Atwood's The, the Handmaid's Tale? Is because it's right because now commentary on what's happening. It's resonating right. with people where they're watching this art. That has become mm-hmm. timeless or in a weird way. It's that thing. Like if we don't pay attention to the uh, mistakes of the past, we're doomed to repeat, doomed to repeat them. them. We're not listening to the warnings that our artists. You want to know what's really crazy? What? So we're talking about the war on drugs being similar to how it was and repeating itself from 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Right. right? Mm-hmm. I'm currently in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh-huh. And some of the, the dialogue that I say, like to say truth, love and reason, keep little company together nowadays. Uh-huh. That line was written over 400 years ago. <laughs> Oh, and we would, what do you mean? As a society, right, we haven't learned true. from that? Okay, seriously, right? It's like, what the fuck? That's got to be a trip for you. Like, reading reading Shakespeare and being it like, is. oh. It's like, oh. So, Shakespeare predicted hasn't... predicted the, the right. what Twitter would become eventually. <laughs> he knew exactly what Twitter and Facebook were going mm-hmm. to devolve into. Exactly. It's, I don't know, it's, in a way, it's frightening, but in, a, in another way, it's... I think we're always just, do, we're doing the same thing. I mean, we, we, humans are humans, right? And as we grow and mature we go through similar patterns right so it's not we we're sort of doomed to repeat history over and over again or to fall into the same like unless we can br- maybe break out of the rut but how do you break out of being human that's a well i are these intrinsic human qualities i think that probably some of them are yeah well i think that a lot of it could be well, I think a lot of it comes down to tribalism in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like a lot, there are we have two parties, and there are some um, like there's some scientists who don't think that that's an accident. We think that there are people who are predisposed to be conservative, and there are people who are predisposed to be liberal. And as long as we have those two things, as long as we have just conservatism and liberalism with no middle ground, right? You'll never have moderates, and it'll be hard to have. We're not allowed to be human. Measured discussions. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't but, know. But obviously, you know, I th- I'm, and I, I can't speak for you. Sure. Maybe you're alt right, but I no, I, assume, are you kidding I assume that we are both about as left as you can get. Uh, fairly, yeah, fairly, fairly lefty. I, I bend left. I don't know, but like j- just just watching this movie, it was like look at where what we're talking about right. today, and look at what we were talking about then, and look at what we were talking about when George Orwell wrote. I was going to say Orwell, nineteen eighty four. Look at what we that speech at the end. Yeah. Of 1984 yeah. is predicting our future that we're currently living in. I don't know. But then again, you know, who knows? Self-fulfilling prophecy maybe, too, maybe. Who knows? Maybe two hours of rotoscoping and paranoid drug <laughs> right. movies have just made just us made paranoid. Us, yep. Who knows? Um, do you have anything else? I, I have a fun fact I wanted to oh, end Oh, no, go on, ahead. No, I, cool. I'm I'm good. Just overall, in general, I, think I, I probably watched this movie the first time about when you did about a year after it came out. Yeah. And just I didn't quite understand it. Mm-hmm. Um I was watching with a group of people that weren't necessarily into what the movie was. They were sort of like, oh, I don't like this movie, it's stupid, whatever, so I couldn't right. really focus in on it. But being able to watch it on my couch by myself today, 
over 10 years later, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. I think it is a must-watch movie. I mean, it's certainly uh, one of the, the best adaptations of a Philip K. Dick story or book. I think right? it's the so. best. Um, I think Blade Runner is amazing, but I don't think it's necessarily an adaptation so much they as it is... It's it's a beautiful it, right. thing, but it's I think it's more inspired by mm-hmm. than adapted from. I, would, I, would I think agree this is that, the best yeah. adaptation. And I think the, the the fact that rotoscoping is, it has a hand painted look to it, it mm-hmm. doesn't look dated. In fact, if anything, I think if you were to watch this movie forty years from now, it won't feel dated because of the nature of how it's filmed. It looks like a choice rather right. than like of the limitation. Of... It's like a cartoon. If you go back and look at a cartoon from like Snow White, I mean, you can't really. Yeah, Snow you White. Can't tell that it was drawn in the 30s or when the you 20s see, or whatever. When you see <laughs> shitty CG, mm-hmm. you're like, That's, oh, oh, that was 90s. You're like, oh man, that was when they didn't have CG figured out. But when you watch The Lion King, you're like, oh, this is what they were doing at Can that you, time. If you didn't know any better, could you say when, what year The Lion King was? Probably was not. Made? Snow White, you can pick it out because it's got that that, that graininess softer, to it. Right, yeah, yeah, it's it's got the but that could have been Disney a look. style. It's true. Choice. Well, that's what in I think. 2010, which is what makes this movie so interesting. I think what that that's what this looks like this looks like they had a style in mind mm-hmm. and they were able to to make that to happen. make it happen bird and i went and saw black panther yesterday oh, sure. they have three rotoscoping teams on black panther really yeah i only i only noticed because i just watched scanner darkly but we were watching the credits waiting for that after the credit little, scene yep. and i'm like oh my god look a rotoscoping team and then you get to the next studio and i'm like holy shit another, another rotoscoping, rotoscoping team <laughs> so they're still using this probably oh, yeah. it's probably like little touches here sure. and there to add vibrance or create a weird texture Remove but, wires things like that or whatever yeah. but it's still happening they still have rotoscoping in 2018 it's, that's I just, amazing i really dug it but the, um the uh, the the thing I wanted to point out, which I f- again found out on that cool documentary, was Winona Ryder's godfather was Timothy Leary. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Timothy Leary is, he is a 1960s countercultural figure. He's the famous Harvard professor who did all of the tests with LSD. Oh shit! That guy, yeah. Uh, he was good friends with Philip K. Dick. Of course he was. He, um, so uh, Winona Ryder remembers specifically. Um, like her godfather talking about Philip K. Dick and like she's seen letters that from from Dick to Leary. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. That is, that we've come. It, there's like a weird like closing of the loop type thing where kind she's of, in yeah. Scanner Darkling. But not a passing of the torch, but more of a closing of the loop. Yeah, this yeah. this is a weird movie for me. Um, like final thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um. I do. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's weird. It's dark. And some, it, depending on your mood, it's either hard to watch or... Or you can find the comedy in it. Right. right? It, yeah. It, it's a it's a weird, shifting, changing movie. Um, but it really is one... And I wouldn't watch it every year, but I... Oh, I, no. Certainly no, not. No, definitely not. It really messes with you. But <laughs> this whole month is going to mess with us because <laughs> all movies about crazy people. Yep. But, um, yeah, I highly recommend it. And the book, especially, the Philip K. Dick, it's called a scanner darkly you can find it everywhere i checked out my copy when i was getting ready to record the podcast and i had left a post-it note 17 year old me had posted a post-it note to future me in the front cover that says this is the best book that i've read in the past five years uh probably the one of the best three i've ever read and then there was um is my a copy of my father's book he didn't want me to read it and my dad has a college football timetable (laughs) like their game schedule on there but there's weird like weird games are marked with like 
strange lettering and shit. Oh, that's weird. It's weird. Yeah. So anyway, you should read the book. You should watch the movie. I highly recommend it. Robert Downey Jr., who we didn't talk about no, at we all, didn't. is phenomenal. He's playing this. Robert Downey Jr. He really pretty flawlessly. He he is, but there's a there's some there's some Iron Man in him. There's well he because uh, he is. There, Tony Stark, have he you is. heard of Have you heard of his uh, his method for me, uh, remembering his lines? Mm-mm. I think that part of the Robert Downey Jr. thing is this how he is how he memorizes his lines. What he does is he writes the ent- all of his lines as one giant run on sentence. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. And then, so he'll he'll memorize the lines and then write them out from memory as a giant run-on sentence and check them. Then, after he can do that, he makes it a giant acronym. Only the first letter of every line. So if it was like, you know, to be or not to be, right. it would be T-B-O-N-T-B. And if he can't tell you what each of those letters stands for, then he hasn't memorized his lines well enough. That's a that's, great process, actually. That is I how, might steal that. That's how he Holy fucking shit. does it. So when you hear that, that sort quick, of run on and quick, when he does his lines, there's a thing that he does that I don't really see other people do unless they're kind of copying him or like mm-hmm. you hear it when people do imitations of him, where he rattles his lines off so fast and flawlessly and throws them away offhand because they're so in his head. He's so, not even thinking about them. No, not at all. So he's just he's throwing them off. That's that that natural Robert Downey Jr. thing. Right. Where he's just throwing his lines off, and it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter, man. You know, like that's where that comes from. Is he has it, he has so, it so well, so in his bones. I'm gonna have to write all my lines out tonight now. I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it, this movie's definitely worth checking out. Absolutely. Um, it'll fuck you up, but that's what we're trying to do to you this month. This month is about fucking you up. <laughs> all right. You got anything else? Nope. That's it for this one. All right, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to try, uh, as, try we did, outro? as we Ooh. did last episode, as we did last episode, and we'll do from every episode from now on, I'm going to come up with a with a new fucking cheesy, <laughs> shitty outro. So here we go. Uh, for this week, I'm going to say, or for this month, because we're doing them in force. Um, well, the reels have spun down and the lights are coming up, so we'll see you next time. But that works. That's not bad, right? That's pretty good. <laughs>